Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. Welcome to Growth University, and we're glad that you've joined us tonight. Looking forward to sharing the Word of God with you. And God is doing some amazing things. One of those things is the launch of our virtual life groups. I hope that you've taken time to sign up for a life group. If not, I encourage you to do that before the end of the week. Go to thecalvarychurch.com or use our church app and sign up for a life group. It'll be a great ministry opportunity for you to connect with people and uh, just stay relationally connected with our church. And I know there'll be some great things shared, and, and hopefully uh, it'll be a growing opportunity for you. As well, we had a baptism on Monday. This was uh, Ji Hao Wang was baptized. This is Ethan Jean-Louis' uh, roommate, and we're excited for him and uh, what God is doing in his life. And, and uh, that was a, a great thing that happened here at the Calvary Church this week want to uh, also uh, just give a good report. Brother Gary Abston is doing better and I believe is cleared to go back to work. And that's a, a big hurdle, a big step. We're going to continue to pray for him. But I wanted to share that report as well as the youth pastor in Illinois uh, who was very sick. We've been praying for him and uh, he is doing well uh, also. want to continue to pray for Betty Maples and to pray for evangelist Eli Hernandez. And maybe you have a request. Maybe you have something you need the Lord to touch in your life. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer right now and just, again, petition the Lord that uh, he'll be with us. I encourage you to bow your head, close your eyes, lift up your voice, and let's pray together. Lord, we come to you tonight. We thank you, God, for your faithfulness, your goodness in our life. Thank you for the great things that are happening here at the Calvary Church. God, lives that are being changed, lives that are drawing close to you. I pray, God, that you would continue to move among us. Lord, draw us near to you during this time. I pray, God, for Betty Maples. I pray for Brother Hernandez. I pray, God, that you would touch them, strengthen them, lift them, Lord, in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you for everything that you're doing. We're praying that tonight your word would find good ground, that it would accomplish exactly what you intend it to accomplish. We thank you, God, for the Calvary Church. We thank you for everyone, God, who is connected here, and we pray you would bless them this week in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you uh, haven't had a chance to give this week, we encourage you to do that. You can do that online. Thank you for, again, your uh, generous donations to the community through uh, the Dropbox uh, for Princeton School District, dropping off food. Thank you for that as well for your giving to the Benevolence Fund. And uh, our church has responded so uh, graciously and faithfully to the things of God during this time, and I honor you for that. Well, for the next few moments, I encourage you to uh, find a relaxing spot and a non-distracted place, and let's look at the Word of God tonight. Now, I hope that you, you will find somebody to connect to, maybe text them now and say, hey, at the end of this, I'm going to be texting you uh, for our app time. 
But uh, we uh, believe that tonight that the Lord's going to speak through His Word. A few weeks ago, we started a series called uh, General Epistles, looking at the New Testament and uh, specifically the General Epistles or those letters that were written to the church, mainly by the apostles uh, to be read as the church gathered in groups. And again, when I am looking at this material, obviously looking at it in the context that we're in, me speaking to a camera, uh, nobody sitting in the room except for our tech people, and, and just understanding the experience of communication and how important that was. We know that communication is important to us right now. As a church, you're gathered in your home most likely. Some of you may be in a vehicle or somewhere else, but we're scattered. We're uncertain, and what we realize is the power of communication. Uh, We're constantly looking for that next bit of communication from the government. We're waiting on the plans uh, from our companies who are trying to tell us what the next steps are. And, and we're trying to understand as Christians how we're supposed to handle these times. And, and man, there are a lot of opinions and a lot of uh, things happening uh, by Christians, by pastors, by churches that uh, run the gamut of the spectrum of, of uh, all kinds of things, and I won't get into that. But, but communication is so, so vital. And I, I thought about what, what would our lives be like right now if we didn't have the communication and the technology that we had? If we were socially distant or we were hiding and we didn't have video, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have these kind of things... And that's what the early church would have experienced. They uh, were allowed to meet for the most part in their homes, uh, but there were occasions where they weren't allowed to meet or they weren't permitted to gather, and uh, that would have been very difficult. And so when they would get one of these letters that were, were written, how meaningful that would have been to receive some kind of communication from a church leader, Uh, that would have meant the world to them, whether they were gathered in their family or they were were gathered in uh, maybe a group, were gathered in a larger area. Uh, We don't know if they they shared a letter, so a family read the letter and gave it to the next person and they read it. We don't know exactly how that all happened, but that sharing of communication would have been very meaningful and they would have gathered, they would have read, and they would have prayed, they would have discussed what they heard and it would have built their faith. And these letters, these general epistles were written to people who were facing circumstances that we could identify with uh, today and they would have Uh, lifted them, they would have provided relevant wisdom to them and practical instruction. And so they're called the general epistles because they were written by a variety of writers. There's also Pauline epistles or Pauline letters that we'll 
discuss at another forum, but these general epistles are written because, are called that because they're written by a variety of authors and they were written with a general audience in mind and not necessarily addressing one issue. And most scholars uh, consider the general epistles to be the book of Hebrews, the book of James, first and second Peter, first, second and third John, and Jude. The first lesson that we covered in this particular series was I talked through the book of James. The second lesson, Pastor Kristen covered 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And tonight, I would like to briefly look at the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. And I believe it can provide some great words of wisdom and Words that I think will find uh, great relevance to our lives today. The book of Hebrews is rich, very rich in content, and I am not going to do it justice in the amount of time I'm going to speak tonight, but it is a, a book that I encourage you to read. I know we've got a life group that is dedicated to that. They're going to be discussing through the book of Hebrews, and it is profound in its wisdom, and it is, I believe, very relevant to how we're living today. Some scholars call it the fifth gospel because it tells Jesus' finished work on earth and his continuing work in heaven. And uh, it is a book that is centered on Jesus Christ. The authorship of the book of Hebrews is the subject of great debate because the letter itself does not tell us who wrote the letter of Hebrews. Scholars take different positions on this. Some say the Apostle Paul wrote the letter, and there's some good reasons to uh, think that he may have. Some of the the nature of the letter, the knowledge of the person writing the book, uh, their knowledge of uh, the Old Testament and Jewish law, uh, the concepts of the book of Hebrew, Uh, are somewhat connected to the concepts that Paul wrote in other letters. At the end of the book of Hebrews, there is a reference to Timothy, and that, uh, again, is something that Paul did. And even the concluding salutation is, grace be with you all, amen, is something that Paul would use. But some uh, say that it was other authors, like Apollos or Barnabas, or Luke, or even Priscilla. But we're not given this information, and so we make no conclusive argument to it. However, it would have been someone who was close to the apostles, and someone who understood and was connected to Jewish life and religion. The question we ask here is then, when was this written? And and again, this typically is not a big deal. You kind of throw out a date and it lands, and, and there's a lot of debate around it. But this particular date I find interesting because I feel like it uh, has a, a significant meaning based on where it falls in history. The book is believed to be uh, written, this letter is believed to be written between 65 and 70 A.D., more specifically between 67 and 70 A.D. And that's, that's important because uh, the readers of Hebrew, Hebrews would have experienced um, some things that 
uh, were important. These most likely were second generation Christians. So you think of Christianity and you think of the early church as first generation Christians. But here in the book of Hebrews, we start getting this idea that this is the second generation of Christians. So in, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So these would not have been the original hearers of Christ, but rather a second generation who were hearing from those who had been with Christ. We also get this sense of timing from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. So these would have been Christians for a while. These are not brand new Converts, And so we get that sense of timing that potentially second-generation Christians. However, this, this letter seems to be sandwiched between two important dates. The first would be in 64 AD, Nero burned Rome. And this would have caused great terror and uncertainty in the church. Also, it is quite possible and assumed that by the time Hebrews is written that Peter, the apostle Peter, had died. And then the timing of the writing would tell us that they would have been walking through some tough times. So when we look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, it says to them, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. And so we get this idea that they were struggling and they had been through some things and certainly the burning of Rome in 64 AD would have created quite a stir amongst the Christians. Now, what we realize also is that this most likely, this book was written before 70 AD or before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD because there is no mention of this destruction in this particular book. And why that's relevant is because that this book of Hebrews is written all about Jewish custom and law and, and it would have naturally come up in this. And so we can surmise that the destruction in Jerusalem did not happen yet. And again, herein we're going to see at the end the, the, the power of this book to prepare them for what was to come. And so the date is, is significant. I believe that it happened sometime between the, the burning of Rome by Nero and the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. So again, let's, let's talk about the audience of Hebrews. As you're reading the book of Hebrews, it's, an, I, I think, uh, a great thing to consider this audience. So this is, again, Jewish Christians. They're mainly Jewish Christians who have come to know Christ, but they seem to be wanting to go back to their Christian or their Jewish way of life. They're, they're, they have a rich history and a Jewish perspective, and this letter 
is full of examples from the Old Testament. In fact, there are 86 direct references to the Old Testament. So if you're going to read the book of Hebrews, it's going to be important for you to understand a little bit about the Old Testament. So I encourage you to to read some things about the Old Testament. And in particular, the book of Leviticus comes into play in the book of Hebrews. But it really explains the, the whole Jewish rituals uh, in the book of Hebrews and how it relates to Jesus Christ. Irving Jensen, a Bible scholar, said in, he, in Hebrews, the Christian is taught that he has passed from the realm of shadows into that of reality, that in Christ he has the fulfillment of the early types. And, and that's important that that for these Jewish Christians, that they're not just dealing in types and shadows and pictures, but Jesus Christ came to fulfill all of those things. And it makes clear that all of the ceremonial laws given in the Old Testament, such as the offerings of sacrifices, the ministry of the priests, were but types or pictures pointing forward to Christ, the great sacrifice for sin, the true priest, the mediator between God and men. But also, there is something to be considered for the Greek mind as well. Chuck Smith, founder of uh, Calvary Chapel, says that the Greeks saw everything on earth as shadows cast by what was real. So they were always searching for reality. And so Hebrews presents Jesus as the reality, not just the shadow, not just what was to come, but, but or what was just kind of in there in, in some kind of dark form, but he was the, the real deal, and that was important to the Greeks as well. Um, Hebrews presents Jesus as the way to eternal life. So what we understand of the audience is to... Uh, be reflected by the letter itself. What was being addressed in the letter, we can un- by that we can understand who the audience was. And more specifically, we can understand the spiritual condition of the audience. When the writer of Hebrews writes, he addresses some very specific things, and so we can, we can come to understand that the the intended audience would have been dealing with or wrestling with these things. And this certainly provides great relevance to us today. Here's what we understand by looking at the book of Hebrews, that this audience, this group, this early church had somehow lost its zeal and passion. We understand this because of warnings that were given to the early church in this book. There are five specific warnings that are given in the book of Hebrews, and this is what the heart of our lesson is tonight. The first warning that is given is a warning to beware of drifting, beware of drifting. So in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, it says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels provided steadfast and uh, proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a 
salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed by those who heard him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So the writer says that we are to beware lest we drift away. Be careful that we don't just casually drift away. And I, I would think tonight, and I, I feel tonight, that our disconnection from one another sets us up to drift away. It's not an intentional walking away. It's not uh, an intentional just turning aside, but it is a drifting, a, a, a casual drifting away. It, it, it would be like paddling and trying to paddle upstream and getting tired of that, and so you just allow the current to take you downstream, tired of trying to make it all work, tired of the pressure, so you let whatever just kind of carry you away. And so that's the first warning, the first layer of warning is be careful that you don't drift away. The second warning is the warning to be aware of not reaching God's best. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, this is God's best for us. Rest is God's best for us. He said that there remains this promise, but let us, uh, uh, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of this rest that God has, this best that God has. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. He's hearkening back to the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, being in the wilderness, having the promised land in front of them, but not quite entering into it because of their lack of faith. They didn't mix the word, the promise with faith. And so we're warned to beware of, uh, of settling for less than the best that God has for us. I, I would just encourage us tonight that God has some great things in store for us. God is doing some amazing things and I believe is setting us up for some better things. And at the end of the day, though, what we realize is that we will determine whether we walk in all that God has for us. We will determine that, whether or not we will walk in all that God has for us. It is within the context of this warning that we find a very familiar passage of Scripture. Hebrews 4.11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. There it, there it sits. The, the promise sits for us. Let us therefore be diligent to do that. How are we going to do that? The next verse, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. How do we reach God's best in our life? It's through obedience to the word of God. That's what 
puts us in position to reach for and to acquire what God has for us. And so we are warned of this, to, to not settle for less than the best that God has for us. The third warning is a warning to beware of not growing. Beware of not growing. Hebrews chapter 5, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of a full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The writer of Hebrews challenges the church that while you have experienced some great things and you've been in the church for a while, you, you, you've kind of experienced you know, different elements of God, you've experienced miracles, signs, and wonders, you've experienced the new birth, He said that you don't want to stop with that. You don't want to stop with that, but you want to keep growing. And I I encourage you tonight to continue to grow in Christ during this time. I, I don't know. It looks a little bit different for everybody. But the question came to me, and I started evaluating my own life. Since March 15th, since we stopped having church, have I grown in my relationship with Jesus Christ? Have I taken steps forward in my walk with God? How about over the last year, since January, or over the last 12 months? What has your walk with God been like? Or do you need a personal renewal, a personal revival, that hopefully you're growing in Christ, that that you shouldn't ever settle for just a who you were when you first were born again, you were first baptized, first received the Holy Ghost, you, you, you should be growing. You should now be able to teach others also. That's the third warning. The fourth warning we find is to beware of willful sin. Beware of willful sin. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 says, For if we sin willfully... After we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. That's kind of a a scary verse and uh, has, uh, I think, been misused at time. It's not saying that if we sin after we have been born again, that we're no longer able to be sinned or to be saved ever again. No, it's saying that if we sin willfully, we're walking away from God. When we repented, we turned towards God. And that that blood of Jesus saves us from those sins. But when we turn and we willfully sin, we turn away from God. And therefore, we are rejecting the work of Christ. Sin is separating us from God, not because God is distant from us, but because we are walking away from God. In Hebrews chapter 10, 31, he, he says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He's warning them that to sin willfully is to reject Christ, even if you have experienced his love before. And so we're vulnerable. What we realize in these times, we're vulnerable to sin. 
We're vulnerable to sin during these times of disconnection, the the chaos, the disruption, the distractions, the diversions. All of it sets us up to depart from the living God. I, I have to admit that staying at home doesn't always facilitate productivity. And our, our rhythm of life has created vulnerabilities in us. And the scripture in Hebrews specifically warns us to beware that our, our, our hearts aren't hardened by sin. And so the warning is to beware of willful sin. The fifth and final warning is the warning to beware of denying God. Hebrews chapter 12, 25, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Warning them to beware of denying God. That there comes a point when we've sinned willfully for so long that we just deny God. We don't need God. There's no more consideration of God, no more thought of God. A complete stepping back from the things of God. And again, I think in these times, if we're not careful, we'll be vulnerable. So Hebrews is written to people who were second-generation Christians being taught by spiritual leaders the truth of God's word, disrupted by government, but susceptible to distraction and discouragement. And so the writer of Hebrews leads them through a series of warnings and I believe a progression of warnings. The first being, beware of drifting, this unintentional element of walking away from God, not intentionally, not willfully, but it's kind of a drift. You, you kind of lose your focus and you drift away. And I believe that leads us to settling for less than God's best and God's rest. I, I, I don't quite hear the word of God the way I need to, and I'll just settle for what's easiest, which then leads us to not growing anymore, not reaching for the things of God, not seeing things added to our lives. And when that happens, when we stop growing, the only next step is to begin to sin willfully. We start to turn ourselves from God, and ultimately, sin leads us to that point of denying God altogether. However, packed inside of these warnings that the writer of Hebrews writes about are some powerful truths and some hope. The writer of Hebrews keeps pointing this audience, this second generation of Christians, keeps pointing them back to Jesus Christ as the ultimate example to follow 
regardless of the obstacle. Hebrews uses the word better to describe a life with Christ and keeps using this word better. It says that Jesus was better than angels. It, it, it says that he gave us a better covenant than the Old Testament. It says that he gave us better promises and it says that he had, we are given a better possession. In Hebrews chapter 11:40, it said, God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us, that God has something better for us. I am confident that what we have walked through and what we're walking through these last number of weeks and going into months, while the enemy is seeking to discourage, distract, disarm, defeat, and destroy the church, God is going to use it to make us better. God is wanting to use this time to make us better. I believe we can be a better church because of this. I'm watching our ministry leaders, and they're doing an absolutely incredible job. And I absolutely believe that we are going to be a better church because of this. And I believe, and hopefully, we are going to be have better families and stronger families because of our growing relationships during this time. And I, I, I hope that we're going to be better brothers and sisters in Christ during this time because we understand the value of relationships. But at the end of the day, I can tell you with confidence that God has something better for us. I would say that God turns brokenness into betterness. I know betterness is not a real word. Sorry, Sister Reed, I ask for your forgiveness. But God turns brokenness into betterness. And that's what he's doing during this time. All of this is promised to us by faith. If we will have faith in Jesus Christ, it is promised to us. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us this. It's the the faith chapter of the Bible and one that illuminates the power of faith. It outlines for us Characters throughout the Old Testament who faced difficulty, but through faith they obtained all they could from God. People like Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Joseph and Moses and even Rahab, a prostitute, they all were able to find a better life because of faith. But the writer of Hebrews concludes this list and he says, and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us, that they will receive that ultimate promise, but not until Christ would come. And everything that they were reaching for was pointing to Christ and would ultimately come when Jesus Christ came to earth and ascended into heaven and poured out his spirit upon us. Then it says, and I conclude with this tonight, therefore we also... Since we are surrounded 
by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How are we going to do this? There's only one way this gets accomplished, looking unto Jesus. You may have turned, maybe you've drifted, and you're, you're 45 or 22 degrees away, or 45 degrees away, or maybe you've totally rejected God during this time. I'm telling you that if you'll turn back and look to Jesus, he will be the author and finisher of our faith. And it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And it says, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. How do we avoid becoming weary and discouraged? Every morning we wake up. We look to Jesus Christ. We look to the cross of Calvary. We look to the hope that we have in him. And so we are, we are given this great hope, and we don't have to be weary. We don't have to be discouraged, but God has great things in store for us. And here's what I want to conclude with. What the writer of Hebrews didn't know is that just a few years or months removed from this letter being received, that the temple in Jerusalem would come crumbling down. And had the faith of those Jewish Christians been in the temple, had been turned to the shadows, been turned to the law, it would have crumbled to the ground. Their faith would have crumbled with the crumbling of the temple. However, by looking to Jesus, they could walk through any circumstance that they would come in contact with. And we are surrounded, too, by a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. So let us not drift. Let us not settle for less than the best of God. Let us keep growing and thriving in God. Let us not let sin reign and rule in our life. And certainly let us not deny the power and authority of God in our life. So what do we do during this incredible season of life? We look to the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, because he has a better end to the story than any government agency or any human organization can create. Jesus Christ is the better end to the story. And I trust his word, a a word that is alive and active in the world. So we come to our app time tonight. The question is, What is your biggest spiritual battle right now during COVID-19? What is your biggest spiritual battle right now during COVID-19? And what has been your biggest key to victory? What has been your biggest key to victory? I want you to take just a few minutes, maybe call somebody on the phone, text them, message them, talk to them next to you. Take just a couple minutes.
All right, I hope you had a chance to talk to somebody and just discuss with them. And I pray that whatever struggles you're going through, that you're finding strength, you're finding hope in Jesus Christ, and you're finding strength in the body of Christ. So I conclude and wrap up tonight, Hebrews chapter 13, 22, says, the writer said, I appeal to you, brethren and sistren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. Hebrews is 13 chapters, and I like that he said that it was few words. It was actually, if you read the whole book of Hebrews, it'd take you about 45 minutes. So apparently, brief is 45 minutes, and I appreciate that. I'm not sure that you appreciate that like I appreciate that. But I encourage you to dive into the book of Hebrews. Consider the warnings, but consider the hope that's found in it. And I pray that as you do, that you find strength in Jesus Christ. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I want to pray for you. Lord, I pray right now for the family of God, those who are listening. God, I pray for those who maybe are facing some spiritual struggles right now. Maybe it's just a drifting. Maybe, God, it's, it's doubt. Maybe it's just the, the weariness and the, the temptation to just settle, to just settle for less than your promises. God, I pray for those who may be even struggling with sin. They're struggling with temptation or those who are even struggling their belief in God. I pray that, God, as we look to you, that you would, God, put your arms around us. Let us feel a tangible presence of God. Order our steps, Lord. Let us know that you're walking with us. We look to you just as all those who have come before us, those, God, who have walked this walk with faith, Lord, we're looking to you during this time with faith and expectation that you have something better prepared for us. Thank you, God, for your goodness and your faithfulness in Jesus' name. So as the writer of Hebrews concluded, grace be with you all. Amen. I love you very much and miss you. Look forward to seeing you again very soon. God bless. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.